Hi everyone, I'm your co-host Rach. And I'm your co-host Rebecca. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we are going to be covering Season 3, Episode 21, Sozin's Comet Part 4, Avatar Aang. In this episode, which is the series finale, Sokka and Toph encounter their most difficult challenge... Katara must face off against Azula, and Aang's battle with Ozai concludes as the fate of the world hangs in the balance. Do we gotta give it to him one last time? Dun, dun, dun! dun, dun. dun. <laughs> yeah, this is a big one. It is, it is. I mean, this is the last time we'll actually be covering an episode, which is wild. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm ready. We've been doing this for over a year, so. But yeah, we decided to do something a little bit special this week for our favorite segment, Sokka's Poetry Society. Yes, we decided to collaborate on our poem together, which turned out to be a really, really fun process. Uh, Not that I doubted that it was going to be, (laughs) but it is interesting. We write a lot of prose and stories together, but writing a poem is definitely a different experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And it was nice kind of mapping things out and then sort of also asking you for like opinions about things. Like, do you think this works? Do you think this could be better? Could I put in another word there? That was really fun. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And I'm really excited to share it with you guys. We decided to do a poem kind of about, uh, I guess, the series as a whole, right? Right, yeah. Because we're we're starting from the beginning. (laughs) We're going to be like Sokka in The Day of Black Sun. (laughs) (laughs) Then Suki dressed me up as a girl and... (laughs) And she kissed me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we focused it around kind of the main characters in the show. Not that we don't obviously love the secondary characters, but it's just that we had to draw a line somewhere. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Here we go. The boy in the iceberg was broken out by righteous fury and a boisterous shout, awakening in a world tragically torn apart, full of hope in his eyes and fun in his heart. The last waterbender of her war-torn tribe Protected from a fate too terrible to describe, she wore pride for her bending right on her sleeve, but hadn't allowed herself time to grieve. A non-bender soon to be floored by a fan, who learned to be a warrior before he even became a man. Reluctance and doubt clouded his view. Every moment outside of himself was brand new. A banished prince from a faraway place was hoping to regain his honor and grace. His uncle's advice deemed as useless as his tea, in a desperate search for who he was destined to be. The blind bandit refused the help of others, left no space for companions, fathers, or mothers. Making room for her friends was her last mountain to climb, before becoming the greatest earthbender of all time. The prince had to learn an internal lesson. There was insight and goodness beyond his aggression. With the aid of genuine friendship and tea to calm down, Fire Lord Zuko reclaimed his great-grandfather's crown. 
Spirits and silver linings made him believe, and with newfound knowledge he went on to achieve feats that would make both his mother and father proud, swordsman Sokka, a part of and set apart from the crowd. Her strength of spirit was capable of stopping even the rain. Creativity and hope proved enough to break the chain. She found reasons to laugh and nurture her inner child. Master Katara's pain and joy were reconciled. When the world believed peace was no choice, the boy broke out of the iceberg and found his voice. The day the war ended, his people all sang, Air Nomad, Survivor, Avatar Aang. <laughs> all right, so shall we do it? Let's do it. <laughs> so let's kick it off then with the first line of the, I think, episode, which follows on directly from the last one, right? We literally ended on this big cliffhanger in the battle between Ozai and Aang. Correct, yes. And I really liked your comment about this line. Yeah, well, the line is, um, come on out, Avatar, you can't hide in there forever. Immediately, what I thought of was, you know, Aang being in the iceberg. Because you had said to me last time that Aang, the way he's positioned right now is he's kind of hidden behind this rock, right? And he's made like a little cocoon for himself. And he seems to be in a similar position that he was in the iceberg. And so I thought, you know, it reminded me of how he hid in that iceberg for a very long time. Obviously, it wasn't entirely his fault. Now he's unable to hide anymore. Now he has to come out and face Ozai. This is kind of just a reminder for us. Aang is stuck in this cocoon and he seems to be in a bad way right now. Before we cut to Toph and Sokka, who are still running on those airships. <laughs> right, and Suki, um, you know, kind of disappeared. They know she's okay, but she got separated from them. And now they're kind of struggling to figure out what they're going to do. And Sokka shows his usual inventiveness, right? Because he asks Toph to metal bend the rudder of the airship that they're currently running on. Yes. So it makes a sharp turn and then we get another sort of airship slice <laughs> going on. And I do think, you know, for all the times Toph saved Sokka, he finally gets to make it up to her, not only in this episode, but the one before this one as well. I'm like, good job, Sokka. <laughs> yeah, and she's so happy when he tells her that her metal bending is really, really cool. We know that Toph loves praise. So. Yeah, she'll stop in the middle of a life-altering battle just to get some praise. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Honestly, good for her. I think they have some really nice moments in this episode. I've always liked their friendship. Toph really has saved Sokka's life so many times, so. Yeah, it's just nice how trusting they are of each other. There's a lot of nonverbal communication between the two of them, and they're very in sync, which is sweet. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, they're in this pretty dangerous situation on the airships, right? Because things are just kind of exploding around them. Yeah, and, you know, they're losing balance, and also there are people coming 
to attack them because they only managed to get one of the airships taken over and get that crew uh, evacuated, I guess, <laughs> dumped in into e- the, <laughs> the water. In an epic scene. So, yeah, they end up in this really bad position where I think they fall in and they're precariously dangling from one of the, I don't know what you would call it. Looks like kind of like a diving board. <laughs> yeah, it's a spike, I think, on top of the airships, right? Um, I thought it was interesting that when Sokka falls on it and you see it from above, it kind of looks like a crescent moon shape, which made me think of UA. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, Sokka is basically on his back, right? Because he's fallen on top of this spike. Platform, I guess. Yeah. And he's hurt his leg because we see him complain about his leg. And he's holding on to Toph basically by the tips of his fingers. So it's really a bad situation for them. And they have these two firebenders on either side who come after them. And this is when Sokka does a very noble thing. My gosh, I love him so much. My notes literally say, I freaking love Sokka so much, my sweet non-bending boy. (laughs) Because he takes out first one guard with his boomerang, right? He pulls out his boomerang. He sends his boomerang at one of the guards. And then he manages to pick up his sword, which has fallen kind of by his feet. So he kicks it up and grabs that. And then uses that to take out the other guard. <laughs> and in the process, loses both his boomerang and his sword. I know. Ugh, he sacrifices them to save himself and Toph. And I already start crying. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm such a mess in this episode. <laughs> Aww. Uh, and then Toph is crying as well. And this is kind of a big deal because we don't get to see her show that vulnerable emotion a lot of the time I think in this moment she really believes that she's going to die and because she's dangling the only thing she can feel is Sokka's hand (laughs) which just (laughs) gives me all the feels oh I hadn't even thought about that that's so sad (laughs) yeah Sokka is having a hard time holding on to her right but this is when he notices something. Toph asks him, did Boomerang come back? And he says, no, Suki did. One of the airships comes towards them and they're able to jump onto that. Thank goodness. So Toph does not fall to her demise. (laughs) No, no, that would be awful. I really like the symbolism of this because we see Sokka lose his sword and his boomerang and I feel like we've seen Sokka depend so much on weapons throughout the show right like we've even joked about how there's like three times in the show that he wakes up and he's got a weapon in his head (laughs) and so weapons are so important to him and they serve him well here because you know he's able to fend off the two guards but then more guards come and what saves him in the end is Suki who loves him and she comes back you know she is more reliable than even boomerang so i just love that 
it, it also reminds me of, you know, the crossroads of destiny and how we have that same kind of thing going on with Aang and Katara where it's, you know, perfection and power overrated, but you're wise to choose happiness and love. And I love that that always comes back and that love is the most powerful thing in this universe. Yeah, it's a really beautiful moment and uh, I was tearing up when Suki came back. It is worth noting that Sokka actually mentions, I think, his leg again when he falls onto the other airship with Suki. So we get to see that he's been pretty badly injured. Yeah, he probably broke a bone or something. Um, but he's alive and so is tough. Yes, that's the most important thing. <laughs> and so they're okay. And from there, we go back to Aang again. Yes, yeah, so... Ozai is getting ready to basically destroy Aang. He creates this giant fireball that he blasts Aang's way and the rock cocoon shatters. And this is when Aang flies right into a pointy rock. (laughs) He does. A very important pointy rock, as it turns out. Because where it happens to be is exactly where his scar is at the base of his spine. Yes. And this unblocks his chakra. Of course, we talked about this before, but he thought that his, I guess it was his thought chakra (laughs) was blocked, but it was his (laughs) his earth chakra. His thought chakra was kind of blocked because he didn't realize. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah, I just think... There's so much delicious irony in this scene at Ozai accidentally being the one to inadvertently trigger the Avatar state. And I think you mentioned another part of it that was ironic as well. (laughs) Well, it's the fact that the Earth Chakra is unblocked by a rock. (laughs) Literal Earth. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like it also ties in with the fact that, you know, Aang is in this case protecting the Earth Kingdom, right? He's Mm. trying to stop the Earth Kingdom from suffering the same fate that the Air Nomads did. So there's a lot of Earth symbolism, I think, and it's kind of really nicely tied together by the fact that his... uh, I keep calling it the root chakra in my head because I don't know why I just like that, but yeah, it's the Earth chakra, right? Yeah, and... If we go back to the Guru episode, this is the chakra that deals with survival and is blocked by fear. And I feel like this is exactly what Aang has gone through thematically throughout this third season and right now in this fight, because he's had to face up to his fears of confronting Ozai and bending fire. And it's really about, you know, him surviving and his people surviving through him that's beautiful i love that yeah it's i think it's really fun a lot of people bash the pointing the pointy rock and i'm like i'm a pointy rock stan i can't believe the things that fandom sometimes chooses to focus on (laughs) yeah you know it's a fantasy world so there are gonna be some fantastical things happening and his chakras were physically blocked and now they're physically being unblocked so it just makes sense (laughs) sure yeah within the context of the world it makes perfect sense this is actually followed by kind of a humorous moment i think 
Oh, yeah. This is such a great moment. The beard grab. <laughs> TM. Yes. Um, Aang goes into the Avatar state and emerges grabbing Ozai's beard. Yeah, and Ozai is taunting him, too. But after this, I think he really gets the <laughs> crap scared out of him. <laughs> As he should. Yeah, I just remember screaming when I watched this for the first time because it's such a great moment. <laughs> and we get to see from there, Aang kind of goes full Avatar state, right? Mm-hmm. Breathing fire like Iroh did. Um, and he does this really cool thing where he summons all the elements to himself as well, right? Yeah, it's the first time we actually see him bending all four elements at once. And I think we only saw this one other time with Roku when we got that flashback of him mastering the Avatar state. So this is really only the second time we've seen it. And it's very apparent that this is an extremely lethal state for him to be in because he now has all four elements at his disposal which is like ooh, quite terrifying oh yeah it is and we've talked before about how you know when ang is in the avatar state he's almost not really ang mm. and i think that that adds another layer of fear to it because he is not quite himself and so it's less predictable what he's going to do if that makes sense Right, yeah, and I think that's another layer to it is that he was forced into the Avatar state because when he can go in and out of it willingly, he has more control, but this time it, he was forced into it once again. And I think it's really honestly satisfying to watch Ozai get his ass handed to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just appreciate how the writers never overused the Avatar state. I think it was used very sparingly and efficiently. So that whenever somebody does go into the Avatar state, it keeps my interest. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if it had been overused, it would have gotten kind of boring. Power creep is a real thing, right, that happens in shows where... Uh, there is this element of having superpowers. So I think that by not overusing the Avatar state, they avoid that a little bit and really bring it out for those impactful moments. And I think it was actually very smart to not have it through all of season three and only have it at the end. I think that was a good move. Mm -hmm. Ozai is uh, having a rough time. <laughs> yes, yes. And then we cut to bossing say and what's going on there and we see you know the old folks having a good time <laughs> yes yes boomy still kicking butt at 100 and whatever he is now 113 i guess <laughs> oh yeah he was like the same age as ang right or a little bit older i mean we knew he could anyway because we saw him in king of omashu but i think that it's fun and um i agree with your comment fr both from the last episode that we covered and i also see it in your notes that boomy is a lot more likable in these appearances i think yeah i think that first episode that he's in is just really off-putting yeah it's just surreal in a way that i think that avatar became less surreal mm. even though there is some weird stuff like obviously like cactus juice soccer and things like that 
but I feel like the other stuff wasn't quite as surreal as that episode for some reason. Yeah, I don't think they quite hit their stride with the sense of humor they were going for yet. Like, there are really good jokes in that episode, but then there are also jokes that don't quite land. And I also think it was kind of juvenile. Like, it didn't have that balance of being a show for both kids and adults, so... But we like Boomy more now. Yes, yes. And I remember you saying all the way back in that episode that you did think that Boomy had an influence on Aang in trying to come up with alternative solutions to things. Yeah. And I think we do see that in the finale. We can talk about that, I guess, a little bit more when we talk about what Aang does. Yeah. But we do get this nice scene with boomy and then we also get a really nice scene with Iroh. Yes he is facing I guess it's the very center of the city where the palace was and there is a Fire Nation flag covering the palace and he ends up burning it and revealing the Earth Kingdom flag which I thought was a really cool bit of symbolism. Yes, it's a very, I don't know, it's like spine-tingling moment, I think, when you see it happen. I really liked that particular scene, and it's kind of the culmination of Ira's arc, right? Which is, you know, he said that his destiny was to claim Ba Sing Se back for the Earth Kingdom, and uh, that's what he does. And it's, again, using fire in this way that isn't destructive, but restorative. Kind of like when fire burns like a forest when you have like a natural fire and then it comes back again yeah i like that metaphor thank you yeah and i feel like you know that kind of ties in with uh stuff that happened in the first season as well so then we go back to ang again for a little bit yeah it's a very short scene where it's mostly just action i guess the one thing that stood out to me was how he took a boulder and made it shoot bullets basically that was quite an intense move (laughs) Mm -hmm. the sound effects were good in that scene yeah yeah shout out to the foley people which i guess we have never shouted out before oh yeah they do a great (laughs) job (laughs) they do we go now to azula and katara and zuko and see what's been going on there and zuko is just writhing on the ground in pain because he was shot by lightning and Azula is completely unhinged and is not letting Katara get to him so that she can heal him. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And she makes a comment about how she would rather the family physician look after Zuko, which I thought was interesting because of another comment that she makes in a bit, which is that she calls Katara a filthy peasant. And... I think that, like, on its own, that comment could just be seen as, you know, Azula being unhinged. But I think together with the filthy peasant comment, it's kind of serving to remind us that she views Katara as inferior to her. Mm. Because it's kind of like, you're not good enough to treat Zuko, you know, even though I'm the one who just almost killed him. You're still not good enough to heal him. I'd rather the family physician do it. You're a peasant and I'm you know, the Fire Lord kind of thing. I just feel like maybe that was kind of flagging that up before, obviously, Katara 
uh, turns the tables on her. Yeah, I think that's a really good read of the situation and how Azula feels about Katara. Like, she's just this lowly person that Azula couldn't care less about, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just think this fight between the two of them is really good storytelling because I mentioned this in the last episode, but I think these two characters are foils because they're both 14-year-old bending prodigies who are associated with the color blue. And really, both of their emotional arcs deal with losing their mother and how they kind of go in opposite directions when it comes to dealing with that issue because Katara has this love and inner strength and confidence as well as the support of others whereas Azula is completely lost and isolated. Yeah there are a lot of parallels between them when you stop and think about it and I think that it's a recurring theme throughout the show right having support and the difference that it makes when you have a supportive environment around you, how that can really influence the kind of person you become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this show definitely values community and friendship. Very important. And it's so important to Katara's lifestyle, right? We've talked about that before. The Water Tribe really values community, and that's in sharp contrast to someone like Azula, who has grown up just trying to get the better of everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very sad what ends up happening to Azula. I think we talked about this last episode, too. Mm, Yeah. She's really kind of getting the best of Katara in this fight because she is so off the wall, just firing her lightning and her blue fire and not really aiming for Katara, even. (laughs) Yeah. She's clearly lost it. Um, She also calls Zuko Zuzu again, which I just found funny. That part is kind of normal for Azula, but uh, (laughs) elsewhere she's lost it. And Katara, I think, does some really cool moves. I like when she skates on the ice. Oh yeah, that's awesome. But as you say, I think she's just having a hard time finding a way in because Azula is so unhinged. Yes, but then... Something amazing happens. The Secret River. (laughs) I am a fan of Secret Rivers. Oh my god, I did not realize until I read your notes that this is the Secret River. (laughs) Mentioned all the way back in the headband. I love this so much. Yeah, they talked about a secret river that ran under the Fire Lord's palace, and here it has appeared. Katara spots it. She also spots a chain. I guess it's like attached to a wall nearby. Right. And she grabs the chain and kind of lures Azula over to this like grating under which the river is flowing. Yes. And then right as Azula is about to strike, Katara bends the water and freezes them both in the water which is so cool (laughs) so cool and then she proceeds to kind of manipulate the water even further because she unfreezes herself but she has to keep azula frozen and she is we see her kind of breathe out and she's swimming around azula and she is able to while 
Azula is frozen, chain her hands together. Yes, it's just an amazing feat of water bending and really nothing we've ever seen before. It's just so cool and her skill level is amazing and it's fun to think back on the first episode when she couldn't even catch a fish and now she's defeating Azula like this. (laughs) I agree with you. I think it's an amazing feat and it's been one of the loveliest things I think watching this show is seeing how much Katara has grown from as you say all the way back in her very first appearance and also the fact that we've had so much foreshadowing for her creativity right she's used her waterbending in so many different ways and this is kind of the culmination of it because we see her with this really clever solution and I love that about Katara yeah I think it's also important to note too that she chooses to end this in a peaceful way as well the way that Aang chooses as we see later on and you know it's just it's just a nice full circle I think for the whole show and for Katara too it is echoed in Aang the sense that she chooses a different solution other than violence Mm. Azula is chained up she is incapacitated and Katara of course the first thing she does when she knows Azula is secure is she runs over to heal Zuko because he's still not doing great. (laughs) Right, right. And this made me think back to Crossroads of Destiny when she offered to heal his scar and, you know, how different an outcome this is now. I think it's a great callback to that moment and also when she offered to heal Iroh, who was burnt by Azula for the first time, and that's when Zuko just outright rejected her And then further along in the crossroads, he was kind of willing to let her heal his scar, but then he turned on her. And now this full acceptance from him and him thanking her for healing him, I think it's just a great conclusion to their sort of arc together where they weren't really willing to get along. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. Now they have this forgiveness and acceptance between them and I think it just cements their relationship almost as family and surrogate siblings in a way yeah I completely agree and I don't often shout out Dante Bosco but I will in this scene because I really liked his delivery of thank you Katara I thought it was really powerful and again we get this moment that relates to Aang and Zuko being foils and two sides of the same coin because now they have these matching scars but on opposite sides. <laughs> yes, yes. They get a really good moment later on, but we'll talk about it. Uh, but for now, we have this really sad scene where Azula just breaks down completely and she's realized, you know, this is it this is the end. I have no more cards to play. Can't manipulate anyone anymore. And I think she realizes that she did this to herself. And we see her just kind of screaming and she blows fire randomly everywhere. 
And we even see her crying, which I don't think we've ever seen before. No, besides when her mother materialized in that. Right, right, in the last episode. And yeah, I do think that it is well done because even though you kind of feel like she deserves what happened to her, I think as a viewer, you still end up feeling bad for her. Right, you know, she did a lot of this to herself, but at the same time, she's also a product of brainwashing and abuse, and she's only a 14-year-old girl at the end of the day, so her story is just really sad. Yeah, and she has so much of her life ahead of her, right? So you sort of want her, I think, to be able to have more of a life in the future. And we don't know what ultimately happens to Azula, so we don't know, you know, if that happens. But I think that it's good to get the viewer to understand a villain's, you know, motivations. I think it's hard sometimes because this can be conflated with, like, forgiving Mm. everything that a villain did, right? Which I don't think is necessarily a good thing. But I feel like... I like to say this a lot, um, which is that a villain's actions can be explained. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are justified. And I feel like hers really are explained. And I think that it's a good thing to show that, you know, this didn't come from just nowhere. Yeah, so that's kind of where we leave off with them. Mm-hmm. We go back to Ozai getting absolutely wrecked. Yep, yep, the the wreckage continues. He is just running away the whole time that Aang is trying to fight him, and he called Aang a coward before, but now he's panicking. <laughs> yes, yes. I really liked the camera work in this fight scene, and I say that knowing that there isn't actually a camera. Um, I guess they probably used some CGI as well to get the moves, but I thought that it was really dynamic. And you really get the sense of Ozai just not being able to catch a break. He's just having all these elements thrown at him. And even though, obviously, his firebending is really enhanced because it's the comet, um, he just cannot keep up. And then Aang finally corners him, catches him. And he has this great quote that I like to quote all the time. (laughs) No context whatsoever, (laughs) just... Fire Lord Ozai, you and your forefathers have devastated the balance of the world, and now you shall pay the ultimate price. I love that. I just bust that out for no reason. Uh, it's such a good line, honestly. <laughs> yeah, he speaks it in his Avatar State voice, right? Which is like several voices all at once, too. So that is pretty cool. And I think that uh, Ozai's expression when Aang delivers this line is genuinely terrified. And it's animated really well, I think, the way that his eyes are, like, really wide and stuff. Uh, It really looks like he's scared. Yeah, I think in that moment he believes, all right, this is it. I'm gonna die. But Aang manages to pull himself out of the Avatar state of his own accord. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. He becomes Aang again. This is another reason why it was so important for us to see him forced into the Avatar state because he was able to overcome that and he's able to be more than just the Avatar and more than this destruction and trauma and reaction and 
I think he's finally accepting all the parts of himself, which is what he struggled to do in the crossroads of destiny. And that's part of the reason why he ended up dying because he sacrificed love and happiness for power. But now he's not willing to do that anymore. Love that. And he tells Ozai that he's not going to kill him, that he can't do it. I think maybe there was a moment when he thought he was going to, but he's decided that he's not. And then... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is another moment where they use the CGI very effectively... Well, Ozai first is like, well, you're weak, basically, and now I'm going to kill you. But Aang uses the seismic sense that Toph taught him, and he immobilizes Ozai without even looking, which is so cool. (laughs) So cool. Yeah, he's got his back turned to him, and he's just like, yeah, that was really nice. And it was a nice callback to, you know, uh, the lessons that he's learned from his friends along the way. And then we get the kind of revelation of what the lion turtle told Aang. Yes, he taught him another style of bending, which he said was in use before the Avatar was a part of the world. So it was kind of just this nature, and that is that they bent the energy in the world and I think this is cool because we've had this kind of woven throughout the whole show with like chi blocking and the episode in the swamp where Hugh alludes to energy being in the world and love is a form of energy so I think it's a nice tie-in to all that yeah yeah and the way we see it expressed is Aang kind of puts his hand on Ozai, right? And then there is this honestly slightly creepy glow (laughs) that comes from Aang's eyes and mouth and also Ozai's eyes and mouth, and they kind of look up at the sky. And this is a very interesting scene, I think. You also have the symbolism of the two colors, right? The red Mm. and the blue, which I remember you highlighting, particularly in the Firebending Masters, you talked about that. So I think that that's a really cool callback to those colors. And the colors are also used really well because we get to see one of the colors kind of overtake the other. Right, right. Because Aang kind of has to take on Ozai's energy before he can take away Ozai's bending. And so he has to really take on this corruption is what the lion turtle says. And if he's true of spirit, he can weather that and get rid of Ozai's bending. And that is what he ends up doing. And I think it's just great because it ties back into the lessons that the avatars told him, which were selfless duty decisiveness, shape your own destiny, and justice, and energy bending allows all of these to take place as a solution. Is also this kind of innovative, unexpected, you know, way to deal with it. 
and the scene is really emotional, I think, and the music is also really, really good, which kind of adds to that. You know, through the use of those two colors, we see the red almost overtake the blue, but then Aang truly is unbendable, right? Is what uh, the lion turtle says. It reminded me of the House Martell motto in Game of Thrones. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Heck yeah, that's Aang. (laughs) Yes, yes. And we see that he cannot be corrupted by Ozai, and the blue, which is his energy, kind of shines through. I love this so much because, you know, Aang found this solution that validates the air nomads and their existence, and it's on the 100th anniversary of their death. And he's able to harmonize his two identities as Avatar and Air Nomad without compromising either. And again, we come back to what we've been saying this whole podcast, (laughs) which is the theme of balance. Yeah. And the fact that he had to embrace all those different parts of himself. Right, right. Yeah, his journey started with him running away from his people and his duties as Avatar and ends with him embracing and clinging to them and really refusing to let his people die at the hands of the Fire Nation. Yep. And he leaves Ozai kind of not really knowing what's happened because he's sort of like, well, you didn't kill me. And Aang explains that he took his bending away. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to uh, rib Ozai a little bit in, <laughs> in a not-so-serious uh, scene, which is great coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also kind of funny that Aang does say something about uh, glue bending <laughs> right? in the first part of the finale. Like, well, you kind of did that, Aang. <laughs> Good job. And that ties into Boomy, right? Um, I think a little bit, which is the idea that looking for a different solution, a creative solution, maybe thinking outside the box, is something that he learned from Boomy. Is that right in what you were alluding to? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So we see him go into the Avatar state one last time, and this time he does it voluntarily. And he uses it to waterbend all of the fires that Ozai has started and he and he puts them out and I just think that's such great symbolism because he's using it to heal the world and it's a parallel to when he first went into the avatar state I think in the second episode of the series and the first element he bent in the avatar state was water so it's a great callback to that and how he wasn't in control of himself and he was very destructive then but he's come full circle and he's learned to use this state in a peaceful way. And it felt to me almost a little bit like biblical in its symbolism too, you know, because there's this idea in the Bible of like, you know, floods kind of washing away uh, sin. And uh, I'm talking out of my butt here probably, (laughs) but... Because I'm not a religious person. I should probably just let you do this, but... (laughs) No, you're doing great. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. It just gave me those kind of vibes. And also, like, you know, Moses, like, parting the sea. It just reminded me of that. 
Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think, you know, water is just a symbol of, I think, sometimes cooling and calming. And what was it? What did Ira say about water and bitter work? Flowing and it can take many different forms is what he said. Mm, Yeah. And I think it was the element of change. Yes, yes. I think that's kind of showing, you know, going forward. The world is definitely going to change for the better. Yeah, I really like that. And uh, Momo's back also. Oh, yes. <laughs> Can't forget Momo. He hops on Aang's shoulder when he's finishing up uh, putting out all the fires, which is nice because Aang kind of sent him away for a little bit. But it's good to see Momo back again. This is when everything's kind of calmed down and Sokka and Suki and Toph show up at the scene where Aang has just taken out Ozai. Yes, so this is the scene I was talking about where we get a little bit of humor added to the episode because Sokka does this amazing reenactment. It's perfect. (laughs) Of energy bending. (laughs) I have no criticisms. And then, of course, they're trying to figure out what's going on because they've never seen anything like that before. And Ozai is just laying there on the ground and... Suki tries to figure out if he's dead or not. Yeah, it's just really funny. She does a lot with her expressions in this scene because when Sokka is doing his whole thing, she just kind of walks away. (laughs) And then when she goes up to Ozai and she asks Aang, she's like, you know, did you finish the job? And then Ozai looks at her and she's like, ooh, I guess he's alive. Yikes. Yeah, and then we also get a great scene. First we get Toph uh, asking Aang what he did, and this is when we get the explanation. Aang says that he learned it from a giant lion turtle, and Toph is really surprised by this, which I don't really know why she would be, <laughs> given that she learned earthbending from badger balls. Yeah, for a second, then she just accepts it. <laughs> and then Sokka and Suki and Toph, well, first Sokka, starts insulting Ozai. And then Toph joins in, and then Suki, bless her heart, tries to insult Ozai with uh, King of the Guys Who Don't Win. And Toph is like, yeah, you should just leave the nicknames to us. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter one time that was complaining, and they were like, Suki has no flaws. She's a Mary Sue. And I was like, excuse me, King of the Guys Who Don't Win. Like, <laughs> Quipping just isn't her thing. You know, this is why she has soccer. Oh, great. <laughs> so he can do the quipping and she can go off and kick butt. Yeah. I guess I wanted to bring up a kind of controversial topic. And that is a lot of people in the fandom think that Aang should have killed Ozai. Oh. I don't even know why this is a debate. <laughs> but... I don't understand why they don't see that. It's way more humiliating for him to lose his bending than it is for him to die. Like, that, to me, is just karmic justice. Well, I mean, not to get too serious, but this kind of reminds me of arguments about the death penalty, honestly. Because I, personally, I will say I'm not in favor of the death penalty. I feel like justice is better served when somebody has to spend the rest of their life thinking about what they did, you know, alone and isolated from other people, as opposed to killing them. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I also don't think that 
we as human beings should have the power to kill somebody. I think that's putting way too much (laughs) into somebody else's hands. I just don't think that's ethical in any way, even if you, you know, kill somebody in the most ethical way possible, if that's even a thing. But (laughs) yeah, and there's also, you know, with the death penalty, there's also arguments about like, well, what if you're wrong? Right. Yeah, I think that this is the right form of justice for Ozai. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's what Aang deserves, too. Yeah, and Aang doesn't have to spend the rest of his life, you know, like we talked about with uh, Katara in the Mm. Southern Raiders, he doesn't have to spend the rest of his life knowing that he killed someone. Exactly. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, that's actually the last scene that we get, you know, after the, the conflict, because we get a little time jump right after this. We cut to Zuko, who looks like he's in the Fire Nation palace, and he's putting his robe on, and he's obviously still suffering a little bit from his injury because he's having a difficult time getting it on. So I guess only like a day or two has passed at this point, I think. There's another time jump a bit later that is a little bit more uh, significant. But yeah, he's having trouble, and then somebody offers to help him. Somebody who we know and have seen before. May! (laughs) Yay, she's back. She was not involved really in the finale. (laughs) Because I guess she was in prison. Which, side note, Zuko seems surprised that she has been (laughs) removed from prison. I guess he hasn't been officially crowned the Fire Lord yet, but couldn't he have had her removed from prison? (laughs) That's why I think it's only been like a day or two, because... (laughs) That really should have been the first thing that he did, but, you know. Maybe that lightning made him lose a few more brain cells. Because May says that the reason she got out is because she has familial connections. And it's like, well, yeah, but what about the fact that your ex-boyfriend is, like, about to be the Fire Lord? Thankfully for Zuko, May seems willing to forgive him. Yeah, you know, I guess she had a lot of time in prison to think about what was going on and... <laughs> they get to be emo together again, so that's nice. <laughs> this scene is really cute. Uh, you know, my gripes with Zuko aside. You have to roast him one last time. <laughs> I do. One last time. And I really did enjoy them together, and I thought that they were very sweet. Yeah, and I think this is also a great political match as well going forward, because... She's really someone that the Fire Nation is going to accept. And I do think that Zuko is going to need Fire Nation allies going forward because he's not going to be able to have the Fire Nation do a 180 overnight. (laughs) Right. Just because he has a different opinion doesn't mean he's not surrounded by a bunch of people who've been following Ozai. So it's definitely going to be a challenge for him. We cut to this big crowd who is outside of the palace and it looks like everybody is coming together again. We get to see, I think, the Duke reuniting with Toph, which is really cute. And then Katara and Sokka are looking around and we presume they're looking for Hakoda. (laughs) Yes, and then they see him again. And it's funny how many reunions we've had of these characters. (laughs) in this show and how I tear up every single time. Same. (laughs) As 
especially because he says that Kaya would be proud of them, which oh, he's really the best. <laughs> yeah, I just love, I have so much love for the Water Tribe siblings and also their dad and their mom. So I just am really, really pleased whenever they're together. And, uh, and this time it should be for good, which is nice. It just cuts to the Kyoshi warriors who have shown up in their full apparel, which is awesome. And Sokka even says he missed the makeup. Yes, yes. I guess he hasn't seen Suki in it for a while. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Sokka, we should say, is on crutches at this point because of his leg. And he is a little startled because he sees one of the Kyoshi warriors uh, is Tai Lee. And he immediately tries to protect Suki. And Suki is like, nah, don't worry about it, Sokka. Tylee is one of us now. <laughs> yes, yes. Kyoshi Warrior, Tylee. I really like this. I knew it was coming because I'd already spoiled myself. But I think it's a really cool idea to have her become one of the warriors. Yeah, I love it because I feel like it's such a huge character development for her because we saw her talk about how she was worried about being part of this matched set, as she called her and her sisters, but she's realized now that she can have a community and that their uniforms and face paint aren't conformity, but a sense of camaraderie. And I think she's really found a family where they value her skills and individualism because she teaches them chibocking and that's why <laughs> they get her to join because they bonded in prison <laughs> yes yes yeah i guess she was sent with the other kyoshi warriors right because they were separated from suki so she must have been with them i think it's a really fun development and uh yeah it's just nice to see i think tai Lee being surrounded by supportive people because we always talked about oh, yes. how her relationship with azula was kind of a little bit abusive yeah agree yeah lovely scene there the next scene we see is another really we have all these like little interstitial character moments mm. which i think are really really great and this is a really really nice one as well so i'm about to go on another rant like i did with my hexagons <laughs> that's okay i was actually doing research on ang's necklace for a fic a while back and i found out a lot about it so i just wanted to share my findings sure so his necklace is called a mala, and throughout history, tassels, which he wears three red tassels on this necklace, have served as talisman and a symbol of power, prestige, protection, and spiritual connection. And in Buddhism, the tassel represents the roots of the lotus plant to remind the wearer of the analogy, no mud, no lotus. And this is basically a philosophy that means the suffering of oneself in the world, which is the mud, must be embraced and understood and cradled because without suffering, there can't be happiness, which is the lotus flower. And I think that really ties into Aang's story a lot and how he suffered a lot, but he always found the joy in life anyway. Oh, Excellent. I like that a lot. Yeah. And then the tassels are red, like I mentioned, and red tassels represent power, passion, and love. 
and this color activates the first chakra, which is the earth chakra, and it embodies energy and strength. And then there are three of them, and three is a sacred number in Buddhism, and it's used to express luck. So that's my rant about Aang's necklace. <laughs> no, I love it. I love these little details that you find. I think they're really fun. Maybe I should add them to Avatar Wiki since they didn't have anything about the hexagons either. <laughs> oh my gosh, you need to edit Avatar Wiki. Yes, we see Aang with this new uniform. I don't know if you would call it a uniform. Get up. Get up. We see him with that, and then we see Zuko, who is in his full Fire Lord regalia. And they have a really lovely conversation about how, you know, how far they've come, I guess, in their relationship. Right. (laughs) They're thinking back to a year ago and how Aang was in the iceberg and Zuko was trying to hunt him down and... Then Aang says, and now we're friends. And it's just so sweet because I feel like Aang was probably the first person to ever call Zuko his friend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he said all the way back, you know, in, when was it, the Blue Spirit, that he thought that, you know, maybe they could have been friends. It's, It's a really lovely moment, I think. And, uh, and they share a hug so cute (laughs) so cute and they talk about how you know they basically are united in rebuilding this world together right yeah and they both really ended the cycle of violence in their own ways Zuko was within his own family and Aang was within the world by reclaiming peace the avatar and the fire lord yeah And I think Zuko has come so far, I mean, obviously he's come very far, but one of the aspects that he's come very far in is recognizing Aang for who he is, Mm -hmm. and we see that in the next part because Zuko kind of comes out, right, to address the Fire Nation and other people who are also there, and he even says, you know, Aang is the real hero. Thank you, Zuko, for acknowledging what the fandom wants. (laughs) So brave, so brave. Yeah, this is such a nice scene, and Zuko gives a speech about how they're going to move forward, and it's really his coronation day, so he gets crowned. And then Katara and Aang find each other in the crowd. They sort of share this look, and I love this moment because... I think it directly parallels the quote-unquote camera work (laughs) of the fortune teller where Katara was realizing for the first time that Aang might be the person she falls in love with, but this time he's facing her and she's really accepting her love for him. Aw, that's a beautiful parallel. We get one more scene before we skip ahead a little bit which is Zuko goes to see his father, who is now rotting away in prison, as he should be. Amen. And he kind of confronts him about, you know, being the worst, I guess. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, he says, you know, you banishing me was actually the best thing that you could have ever done. And maybe 
if you spend a little bit of time in here, you'll be able to see clearly. I kind of doubt that, Zuko, but wishful thinking. Yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I have more hopes for Azula than I do Ozai. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Azula is, as we said, she's still like 14 years old, whereas Ozai has lived most of his life being the worst, so. But then comes the really important question. Yes. He also says that there is another reason that he kind of wanted to keep his father around, right? Because he wants to know the answer to a very important question, which is, where is his mother? Yes. Chills. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's another reason why it's good that Aang kept Ozai alive, because if he would have died, the secret of what happened to Ursa would have died with him. So I'm sure Zuko is very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's not something that you would have even thought about uh, first glance, right? So it is important to Zuko. And unfortunately, we're not going to find out where Zuko's mother is. <laughs> we look at the timestamp and we have three minutes left and we're like, okay. <laughs> Probably not going to be resolved in this episode. I mean, I guess they they could have just, like, cut to him finding her if they wanted to. No, I like the open-endedness of it. I think it's nice we can come to our own conclusions. Ignore the comics. The comics pick this up? Oh, yeah. Not in a good way, Elin. <laughs> it's fine. We'll come up with our own. So, yeah, there's that. And that's kind of the last scene before we go to another scene, which I was a little confused about the timeline. But you pointed out that it seems like Sokka's leg has probably healed. Yes, he doesn't have his crutch anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's probably been, like, a few months. And Zuko's pretty mobile, too, so... True. And this is a really lovely scene which takes place back in the Earth Kingdom. Yes, we open with these little kids playing Earth Ball, and they're kicking the ball over the tanks. And I just thought that was a cute bit of world building there (laughs) yeah yeah that also means that there's probably not that much time has passed if the tanks are still there uh unless the king of the earth king is just still chilling with his bear somewhere and hasn't gotten back to help (laughs) clean up his city i wouldn't put it past him me either (laughs) oh boy bossing say needs to uh institute a democracy (laughs) yeah they do (laughs) King thing is not working out. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a really nice little moment. And also kind of echoes, you know, one of the big themes of the show, I think, which is kind of childhood Mm. existing amongst this war, right? Yeah. And then from there we go to, we find out that Iroh got his dream. His T-shirt! Woo! Yay! This is all Rebecca cared about. (laughs) This is is the only thing I wanted out of the whole finale. Is I wanted Iroh to have his tea shop. <laughs> and also, even better, he has his tea shop and he is playing the Sugi horn. Yes, and he's playing the Four Seasons song all the way. <gasps> is it the Four Seasons? Because I thought it was, but then I wasn't sure. Is it really? Yes. Oh my god, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> so lovely. Oh, yay. That's awesome. And we get this great scene where everybody is just hanging out together and... Sokka has decided to draw them. (laughs) We could not end the episode without some of Sokka's truly terrible artwork, as it turns out. 
we couldn't end the show even with some more of Sokka's truly terrible artwork. And yeah, he's drawing everyone because he says he wants to capture this moment, which is nice. That's a nice sentiment. <laughs> I just love that this running joke is carried out through all <laughs> the seasons. It's fantastic. <laughs> me too. Me too. It delights me. Sokka just delights me no end. Yeah, he has decided to draw everyone looking a little different than they actually look. Zuko complains about his hair, I think. Mm-hmm. May says she looks like a man. <laughs> Suki is firebending. Yeah, because it's cool. <laughs> wow, look at how far he's come. Jerk bending to cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's growth right there. And Katara's hair loopies look like ears. <laughs> oh yeah, she says, why did you draw me with Momo's ears? So cute. Yeah, it's a lovely moment. Um, I think you get also kind of the sense that they're all hanging out. And I think actually somebody on our Discord server, probably Katie, pointed out that you get to see Mei and Suki playing Paisho, I think? Yes. So it's just this sense that like these friendships have kind of cemented and grown. And they're just getting to be like teens hanging out together. Right, yeah. And Aang is overlooking this whole scene and he has this smile on his face that just makes me think he's thinking like this is the smallest dumbest argument <laughs> that could ever happen and I love it because this is what they should be worrying about they shouldn't be worried about the war yes yes so well said yeah, this whole time, I think, you know, one of the running themes on this podcast is us just saying, like, these poor kids, right? <laughs> Let them just be kids. They don't have to worry about all this stuff, because um, they do. And so, yeah, it's really nice to see. Um, and I think us seeing it from Ang's perspective, too, kind of highlights that. But yeah, everybody's just having a good time. Everybody's wearing lovely clothes. I love all the clothes in this scene. Me too, yeah. And then... Of course, Toph is the one to comment on Sokka's drawing and say that it's perfect. Of course, to her. <laughs> and I love it because the first line of the series starts with it's and the last line ends with perfect. Ah, very good. So clever. Yes, because this is the last line, but it's not the last scene. Because we get another scene that doesn't have any dialogue. Right. The scene that turns me into a blubbering blob monster. <laughs> oh, I think it's sweet. <laughs> I just can't stop crying whenever I see this scene. It reminds me of those emotions I felt the first time that I watched this and just how happy I was, but at the same time really sad because my favorite show was ending, but I still feel like it's such a great ending so it's you get like the sense of catharsis as well yeah yeah and I think going back to something that you saw when you were younger can also trigger a lot of emotions mm -hmm. because I know for me when I went back and watched the lost finale a few years ago which I I'd just done like a full rewatch of the show seeing the finale again I cried I think more than when I saw it the first time <laughs> Because I think it's not just the memory that you have of, you know, these characters and how much you care about them. It's also the memory that you have of who you were when you saw that. 
Mm. And I think that adds this layer to it that you are sort of thinking back to yourself at that time. And um, it just, yeah, I can see why it would hit somebody really hard. Yeah, it's just a beautiful scene overall. Aang goes out to the balcony and the sun is setting and then Katara ends up joining him and it's this wordless interaction, like you said, where they hug and I just feel like it's so beautiful because they couldn't enjoy the sunset or embrace like this before because of the war, but now they can finally love each other freely and even though the war took so much from both of them, they found each other and now nothing can take that away from them. Yeah, and now they have the rest of their lives to look forward to, which is is really lovely. And it's a really beautiful scene. Uh, I, I thought it was just really well done, everything about it, like the, the lighting and the movements i guess and the fact that it is you know wordless and that so much is said with just their expressions and their body language which i think is really uh it's hard to do i think in animation as well because i feel like in live action you know so much is said through people's expressions and in animation it's harder to do that because people look a little different right in animation just by nature of animation and I think that you have to work a little bit harder to get those same feelings across. So I think that that's really well done too. And the music is beautiful and I did recognize the Avatar's love. So I'm two for two on the songs in this episode. Uh, yes, they bring that back. It's so, so beautiful. And, you know, here are these two survivors of genocide who wouldn't have lived if Sozin's vision had been borne out. But I'm just going to read this quote from LJ writes on Tumblr, which I think really sums up why I love their relationship so much. And that's every smile they shared, every joy they experienced together was a defiance, another laugh in the face of violence and hatred. I think that's perfect. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. And then they have this lovely kiss. Best kiss ever. <laughs> it's a very good one. Yeah. Just, yeah, really lovely. And a really nice ending to the show, I think. Yeah, I like that Katara initiates it too. Mm, yes, well, you know, she's always been a bit of a go-getter when it comes to kissing, eh? Yes. <laughs> good for her. And good for them, honestly. <laughs> and it's more evidence that several months have passed because this is not their first kiss <laughs> just putting that out there <laughs> what she's saying dear listener is that they look like they know what they're doing thank you for articulating that <laughs> and i agree <laughs> <laughs> and that's it the end as it says on screen as well later babe <laughs> <laughs> later babe I don't know like how much I want to talk about it as a whole because I feel like we're going to do that in the next episode. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. But I do think that it is a very good finale and I feel like it really brings everything together from the rest of the show. I was not a blubbering mess, but I did tear up. 
<laughs> several times when I was watching it. I thought that it was uh, it was true to the spirit of the show, which I think is really important in a finale. It has to feel true. That's when I think finales mess up is when they try to be true instead of feel true. Yeah, yeah. All right, so do we think we are ready to wrap up by picking the MVP? I guess so. I know who I want to choose, but it might be a difficult graphic. Everybody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Aang as the MVP. I mean, yeah, but Katara, I think, also deserves it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe Aang and Katara? We could do that, and then I can make the graphic just their kiss, and that would be nice and easy. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I think I'm good with Aang and Katara, because even though everybody contributed, obviously, I think if I had to pick the people who contributed the most. Katara defeated Azula and also saved Zuko's life, so he'd be dead without her. <laughs> right, right. And then the whole world would be destroyed without Aang, so. So he's kind of important, I think. Uh, yeah, just a little. Uh, yeah, let's make it Aang and Katara. Yeah, I wonder how the statistics are going to stack up and if they're going to end up tying. I really hope so. <laughs> okay, so then let's do our playlist. And I know you have a very important song for yours, so I was going to suggest that I go first so that you can... <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> end with your song, uh, if that's okay with you. Sure. So for my song... I was telling Rage that um, I I kind of picked it and then I wasn't 100% sure about it, but then it has a word in it that is the same as a word in Rage's song, and then I thought, well, I'm going to have to keep it now because they kind of tie together nicely. And it is a song that I really like. It is a Imagine Dragons song, and I've already used an Imagine Dragons song before for, I think... The Western Air Temple. Mm-hmm, yeah. And this is actually the first Imagine Dragons song I ever heard, and it's probably my favorite of theirs. And it's called It's Time. And the reason why I picked it is because it talks about beginnings. And I thought that that would be a really nice song to have for this episode that is an ending, because I feel like endings are also beginnings, right? Mm. I feel like that's the fun part, is that, you know, with this story, for example, we have an ending... But we also have this idea that it's the beginning of a new age for the kingdoms and that there's going to be a future after this, right? I felt like this song might be fitting because of that. So I think it has a lot to do with Aang because it has lines that are, you know, for example, So this is where you fell and I am left to sell. The path to heaven runs through miles of clouded hell, right to the top, don't look back turn in the rags and give the commodities a rain check. So it's this idea that there is a lot of strife, right, that Aang has to go through. And he says in the song, I don't ever want to let you down. I don't ever want to leave this town because after all, the city never sleeps at night. You know, this idea of the pressure that Aang is under and that he doesn't quite want to come out of the state that he's in. But then the chorus says, it's time to begin, isn't it? I get a little bit bigger, but then I'll admit I'm just the same as I was. Now, don't you understand that I'm never changing who I am? And this really reminded me of Aang because he grew and we saw him 
change over the course of the series, but he also never changed who he was at his core. Yeah, I think that's is the most important aspect of his character is he realized that all of the good things about him were things that he didn't have to change and that they were important. So <laughs> I like that a lot. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. And it's a very uplifting song, too. So um, I thought it was fitting for this kind of new beginning. That's my song. And what about your song, Rach? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I have not had the chance to put a Joanna Newsome song on the playlist because she's not actually on Spotify. She calls it the banana of the music industry and she hates bananas. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> but I figured I would make an exception for the last episode and I'm sure we'll just link the YouTube link to listen to it. But the song is called Time as a Symptom by Joanna Newsome. And the song really embodies the idea of time is an illusion. <laughs> and so is death. Yeah. <laughs> and that love overtakes this idea of time and that love can be reborn into many forms. So I kind of chose this song as a representation of Aang and the Air Nomads and how his love for them was reborn into his love for Katara and how by honoring them, he's showing how much he loves them and that they're being reborn into the world with his ability to stand true to his beliefs. So one of the verses goes, Stand brave, life liver, bleeding out your days in the river of time. Stand brave, Time moves both ways. In the nullifying, defeating, negating, repeating joy of life. And then the next line just is talking about how death can't take away joy. So it goes, the moment of your greatest joy sustains. Not axe nor hammer, tumor, tremor can take it away. And it remains, it remains. So I took that as a sort of representation that this joy that he felt and this happiness that the error nomads taught him to feel is never going to go away, even though they're not in the world anymore. And then this alludes to the title of the song, which is Love is Not a Symptom of Time. Time is just a symptom of love. And it goes into this really beautiful swell where she says, hardly seen, hardly felt, deep down where your fight is waiting, down to the light and your eyes is fading, joy of life, where I know you can yield when it comes down to it, which reminded me of energy bending, bow like the field when the wind comes through it, joy of life, and every little gust that chances through will dance in the dust of me and you with joy of life. So that's my pick, and <laughs> I'm tearing up, of course. <laughs> it's such a beautiful song, and I think it fits the themes really well. And I actually made a graphic of this on Tumblr. Shout out to myself. <laughs> Give them your handle, Rach. It's Sifu Ang, S-H-I-F-U, 
and then ang.tumblr.com. And I kind of showed each moment and how I thought it applied to the lyrics. So if you want to get a better insight into the song, that's there. And then I have a second pick that if you only listen on Spotify, it's Skellig by David Gray. And it's just about somebody ascending and not backing down a lot like your pick so sorry to rant but there it is (laughs) don't apologize i am really glad that you were able to include that because i know how much you love joanna newsome and her lyrics are really beautiful she's not really my style of music but i (laughs) think that she's an amazing lyricist i think that uh, it's great that you have been able to relate that song to avatar and it sounds like it really fits so Thank you. And thank you for always supporting my love of Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. I got Rachel necklace once. Custom necklace with my favorite song, Only Skin, by her. So it's beautiful. <laughs> All right. So that wraps up. Those are our last ever Ember Island playlist picks. <laughs> I kind of, there's a p- tiny part of me that wants to go back and pick songs for I- like feel the same way <laughs> season one yeah mm-hmm. i mean maybe we could just do that like for yeah funsies, you know i don't know i might have to like do a rewatch or something that would be fun and i could create another graphic with the ember island players water tribe siblings <laughs> oh no <laughs> and ua you should include ua <laughs> yeah that wraps up our playlist And then I guess the last thing we should do is just talk about, we have one more episode to go. This is not the last episode of Ember Island Sayers, because we still have one more to go, which is we have our closing book three episode coming. Yes, that's going to be exciting. Yes. And I imagine that we will do probably the same thing that we've done for the previous ones, right? Yeah, ranking the episodes and doing our MVP statistics and drabbles. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we might write something together. I don't know, because I kind of enjoy <laughs> like <too. laughs> reading each other's, so yeah. there's that aspect of it as well. So I guess we'll decide what we want to do. We could also kind of see where you stand and like which book overall was your favorite and how you okay. rank the books too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I know. But yeah, that's something else. And then if anybody has any questions for us, then we will definitely read those out too. You can always find us at Ember Sayers on Twitter, where we tweet out the MVP, and it seems like we're going to be tweeting some playlist songs from book one as well, so that'll be fun, and we'll keep uh, going on Twitter, and we love to interact with you guys there, so please give us a follow and send us a tweet if you like. Uh, you can also email us, mbrylandsayers at gmail.com, if you want to say anything to us. Tell us how great we are. We always appreciate that. And you can find us on Tumblr, mbrylandsayers.tumblr.com, where you can drop us an ask, and we can reply on there as well. We'll probably post our playlists on there, too. We are on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we would love a rating and a review. This really helps people find us. And five stars would be fantastic. So until the closing of book three, I can't believe it. (laughs) I just want to tell everybody to stay flaming. Stay flaming, everybody.
And then we met Haru, and if you look in the front row right there, you can see that he's grown a mustache. <laughs> Gosh, I wish to, I could go to my chiropractor and get my chakras unblocked. This is not the last episode of Ember Island Players. Ember Island Sayers, that's not the name of our podcast. And yes, Sokka, I did have the pickled fish.